0: Hello, and welcome to Very Excellent Habits, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. I begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which I record and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So if there is one thing that everyone loves, it's an episode about money. Every time I ask my listeners for episode ideas, money always comes up. And look, money is a big issue for pretty much everyone. The listenership of Very Excellent Habits is incredibly varied. I've got 20-somethings who want to get a head start on a good financial future. There are married people that want to build a secure future for their families. Lots and lots of women who don't want to be financially dependent on a man. Retired people who want to make the most of the money that they have. So this week I have Emma Edwards from The Broke Generation Podcast. It's a genius podcast aimed at millennials. That's people born between 1981 and 1996. That includes me. And looking at what we can do to make the most out of our money in the weird circumstances that we are in. And because you know I love statistics, here are a few facts about millennials and their money and why we're quite a bit worse off than the generations before us. So these are some Hilda Report facts. I will include a link to those in the show notes. Just so that we have a bit of a snapshot on where millennials are and how what is happening in the economy and with our government, yay, and how that is affecting what we do with our finances. So first up, home ownership is on the decline. In 2001, 68.8% of households were owner occupied. By 2014, that dropped to just 64.9%. In 2002, 57% of adults were homeowners, and that fell to 51.7% in 2014. Uh, Home ownership amongst those aged between 24 and 34 declined from 38.7% in 2002 to 29.2% in 2014. And most of that decline is happening between 2010 and 2014. So we're not owning homes in the way that we used to and people, millennials are buying less houses. Simply because we can't afford them. The 10th percentile of homes, so that means the cheapest in the market, has grown 108% in value between 2001 and 2014, compared to 47% growth for the 90th percentile properties at the top of the market. So this means that the cheap houses that we're supposed to have as our starter homes or to get a roof over our head uh, have had a 108% increase in value, making them unaffordable. For most millennials. And while mean and median disposable house income had grown 21K between 2001 and 2014, this HILDA report also shows that median household income fell slightly between 2009 and 2014. Another thing that has gone on the rise is spending on childcare has increased by 110% since 2001. Another sobering fact is that up to a quarter of single-parent households are also living in poverty. And that's not the worst of it. There's also an array of shitty policies that mean that younger people on the same pay as older people are paying more taxes and contributing more to retirees, Wage growth has declined and wage inequality has increased. So as millennials, we don't have the option of buying a house on minimum wage at the age of 20 and enjoying the fruits of being at the height of our working lives in the middle of a major economic boom. And that is why I have Emma here to talk about millennial money and how to make it work for you. Welcome, Emma.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me, Carly. No
0: worries at all. How has your week been?
1: You know, pretty good. Easing back into the year, still eating a lot of Cadbury mini eggs. Um, well, I say still. I mean, that was, I, I get straight into the Easter chocolate right after Christmas. So this is going to be my life now until April.
0: <laughs> well, I just find, I just figure that like chocolate around Christmas and Easter just multiplies and you don't know where it comes
1: from. No, but it's it's premium though. Easter is the best time of year. Egg shaped foods are superior to all other foods. <laughs>
0: I absolutely agree and also like I've got a theory about Easter chocolate and it's different because it is mouth shaped yes so when you eat a block of chocolate it's all edges and it's up against your mouth and your teeth whereas if you have a mini egg it fits right into the roof of your mouth and then you can just suck away at it and it's really like it it just kind of feels like it's a better um like umami Mm. mouth feel experience and it's the same with the with the hollow eggs as well because if you break off a piece of a hollow egg you can also shove that into the roof (laughs) of your mouth so (laughs) So, yeah, I've I've clearly overthought the shape of chocolate, but I I just kind of feel like that's the main thing that Easter chocolate has going for it.
1: Yeah, and it's got that, I assume, because it's, I mean (laughs) – Tell me you watch Master Chef without telling you which Master Chef. But I assume <laughs> that the eggs are tempered to give them the snap, and which is why that's better. Whereas I guess block chocolate probably isn't. So, or, or I don't know, maybe it is. Chefs are probably dying somewhere, pastry chefs somewhere, they're probably cringing at my <laughs> attempt at knowledge. But I think that's also the snap of the egg is, and the, the thinness of the hollow chocolate, oh, it's just mm. superior. Superior. It's also
0: interesting, though, and you would know this. Australian chocolate tastes really weird because it has anti-melting agents in it because our country's so hot. So I know a lot of people like yourself who were not born in Australia that uh, does our chocolate taste odd
1: to you? I mean, I'm used to it now. Um, Mm. but yeah, when I first came over, I mean, I wasn't fully expecting it to taste the same because I feel like you know, Cadbury isn't Cadbury the same exactly everywhere. I expected it to be slightly mm-hmm. different and there's different flavours of things here. So I kind of like embraced it by like having things I hadn't had before. But yeah, if you were to give me just a plain old block of dairy milk, I'm gonna, the English one's gonna win every time.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I've got a, a friend uh, who does episodes with me on the show and she's also from England and she she's cool with lollies in Australia, but chocolate just really creeps her out. She's like, it tastes like it has a weird aftertaste and she's lived here for like six years. So.
1: Interesting, that's been yeah. enough time. I've been here nearly seven years and I'm used to it now. Um, Yeah. But I mean, I haven't been able to go home and have English chocolate for a while. So (laughs) that might change.
0: (laughs) So I like to start each episode with a recommendation and mine this week is actually a re-recommendation. It is the Woohoo Natural Deodorant in Wild and it's it's extra strong, which is why I really like it because, you know, I do exercise and I get a bit stinky and plus I live in Australia. So you need something that's, you know, a little bit, stronger. Um, I used to use no pong, which I really loved, but it comes in these like little tins and they just kept piling up and they're too cute to recycle, but then I don't know what to do with them. And now I just have all these tins. And so I just got completely stressed out and then switched from no pong to a deodorant that has, it's got a recyclable cardboard container, which I really like. So, and I'm not emotionally attached to this recyclable cardboard <laughs> container, so I can just recycle it. Yeah. Um, so I just, just for my mental health, that's what I needed. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's actually the perfect, combo and they also do a subscription which i really liked about no pong so with no pong i just got one delivered every month and now i'm just getting a new wild deodorant delivered every month so interesting that's that's mine i've never Mm. tried
1: wild i've only ever had success with one um natural deodorant and that was by a small business called Babs Body Care. Definitely check mm. out if you're if you're trying another one anytime soon. I love theirs and they're really good. I just have got lazy with reordering, unfortunately. Um, and also this summer and exercising, I ended up going back to an aluminium deodorant, which I hate to admit, um, but I need to get back onto it. But yeah, they're, they're a really good one as well. And they're in jars, so they are slightly more viable for reuse than yes um than a tin but um my recommendation i've got two actually oh lovely thank you <laughs> another chocolate one actually i'm i, I swear <laughs> i'm not a chocolate addict but i've discovered this chocolate from cocoa black and it's caramel flavored chocolate so it's not like runny caramel like a caramello koala but like caramel, mm, sort of but a bit more butterscotchy than that it's darker oh, okay not as creamy it's the oddest sensation because you put it in and you're like that tastes like caramel but i'm chewing it like it's so strange but it's delicious (laughs) can recommend and they also do it in a freckle which is lovely as well um and the second is a book that i'm reading called quiet by susan kane about the neuroscience behind extroversion and introversion it's really 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 good
0: Oh, that's interesting. I am really into extroversion and introversion
1: just because I'm a hard ambivert. Mm-hmm. Does she agree that there's ambiverts? She does, yes. Yeah. Um, what's really interesting is it's sort of like. A- exploration of a lot of studies some sort of older studies some more longitudinal studies that are still like carrying on into people's lives they've been like studied since they were children or whatever um which you know baffles me entirely they're like the same children came back when they were like two four six eight and then 18 and i'm like can you imagine like shipping your kids off to go and get tested um but interesting though but uh it's just sort of like a whole amalgamation of thoughts and research and different people's perspectives on you know, such a broad topic that isn't super black and white and that don't have clearly defined variables and how it relates to so many other things. And you can kind of just, like, take what the things that relate to you and get this whole new kind of understanding of why you are the way that you are and how, like, personality intersects with introversion and extroversion and external um, environments and things like that. And they look at, like, the school system and even, like, private school educations and, like, the origins of the term cool And like, it actually comes back to like the coolness of your body temperature. Like the people that are cool, the extroverted, cool, relaxed people are less reactive and their body temperature is cooler than someone who's higher reactive. It's, it's just, there's, you know, on the back of books, there's like things that other authors have said. And one thing that someone said, I can't remember who said it, but it was like, I can't stop thinking about this book. And honestly, that is how I feel. Like, I don't want to finish it because it is just like it's so good. I want to just finish and start again because it's so good.
0: Oh, wow. I'm definitely going to read that. I'm super into the temperature thing because I've been doing a lot of research about temperature recently and how it can affect it, it's actually just like a big marker for so much stuff mm. it can be a marker for uh, whether or not your body is digesting food effectively whether or not you're you're getting the most out of the exercise that you do um it's hugely tied to fertility yes. like hugely and it's really hard to get accurate body temperatures because of um you know you, you have to do it at a certain time every day so i know that um apple cuz i wear an apple watch And I know that they're working on getting like a temperature gauge within that. So I think there's going to be a new iteration
1: that actually takes your
0: temperature. It's going to unlock so much stuff, but I can't believe that cool people are actually cool. (laughs) Like
1: literally. It's really interesting. Like. All that stuff, any kind of, you know, reactivity in your body to situations and how that shapes the way you behave is just, like, fodder to me. Like, I am obsessed. You're making me want an Apple Watch, actually, because have you seen they've got those (laughs) new ads about um, people that were in danger and their watch called, like, that's just... I don't need any other stuff, but they're, like, the blood oxygen level or something that it records now and that emergency feature, that's making me want it. That's actually really
0: good because it also tells you... Oh, sorry. I think we, we cut out a bit there. Um, the, it, it tells you, the watch tells you that, um, you're, you, you were saying about the blood oxygen. It actually tells you when your fitness is dropping. Oh, so yeah. So over the holidays, I, it, it, it'll just kind of give you like an average of where it was. And over the holidays, I couldn't go for my walks that I usually do yeah. because, you know, we had the kid and we were in weird places and didn't have time and seeing people and stuff. Um, and it told me it gave me a warning. It was like your fitness has <laughs> dropped Fuck. over the last month. I'm like, cool, thanks. <laughs> like a great, great info to have, but like, way to show me. But no, it was really interesting because then I was like, well, cool. I guess I better start moving a bit more. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think you've got to kind of take a lot of the features maybe with a grain of salt and protect, yeah. I guess, your own capacity. Like the the exercise and the cal. I wish you could maybe you can with the Apple Watch. I wish you could turn off the calorie burn because I just don't want to know. Like. Oh
0: really? I, I don't. I don't. Liked, even, I've got it, uh, yeah. but I don't know I don't really pay attention to it.
1: I just can't not. I've got a bit of a funny history with like food and exercise and that kind of thing. And like with my Fitbit, I've tampered with it by altering my age and my max heart rate so that I know mm-hmm. it's inaccurate. Um, and I'll do that regularly, so that so just so that I don't pay attention to the numbers. Um, mm-hmm. But if I could turn that off, I, I just don't want so much data about my fitness. But the health stuff really makes me want one because I'm pretty into that shit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I can highly recommend like we've had Apple Watches since the first iteration and they've just been really good. Mm. And we've got just like it tracks our sleep and everything. And it's just really interesting having this data because you can see weird anomalies in things Mm. and stuff. And it also like it'll also tell you if your heart rate is doing weird things. Like I know people that have gotten odd warnings. Like I've got a friend who... um, uh, is pregnant and she's only just recently pregnant. And her watch gave her a warning that her heart rate had increased and it was like, Hey, your heart rates increased. You might want to sort that out. And she was like, you yeah, know, I'm good. I'm pregnant. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. yeah. So it actually noticed that her heart rate increased, which it does when you're pregnant. And it gave her a warning that she might want to get that, which she didn't. She was like, I obviously know why my heart mm. rate is increased, but yeah. How cool is that? It picked up on it. Yeah. And you just like, if she wasn't pregnant, she would have been like, Oh,
1: okay. Well maybe I need to see my doctor about my weird heart that's really interesting yeah that's pretty much selling me even though i hate that because i was like i'm not gonna get my watch a fitbit is fine and i'm like no i need one
0: So we are way off topic. Sorry, yeah. um, so no, I love it. Um, so we, I, we, all the people who do this podcast, me, I have you on the show to talk about money. But let's talk about you first. Can you tell us where you're from and what's your story and why we should listen to you when it comes
1: to money? <laughs> Good question. Um, I will try and keep this brief. So I um, am British originally. I moved over here when I was 24. Four, I'm 30 now 23 I'm now 30 um and to be with my partner who's Australian we met in the UK we did the long distance thing and then I moved here because that was our only uh, legal immigration option <laughs> um oh he couldn't get to England well he'd already had his visa ah, there um you go. so yep. we could have we we could have but because I'd never had a working holiday visa here I could get in very easily um because you know the UK has that agreement um and it was just sort of the lowest um lowest barrier to entry and then you know sort of built a life here and then COVID happened and we haven't left yet um but I my history with money is that I was always very um for want of a better term terrible at managing my money I always knew because I've always been very good at maths and I did finances at uni and that kind of thing like my degree was marketing but I did financial management as all my electives because I was just good at it and it was easy and I think that that was to my detriment because I understood what I needed to be doing mathematically but I just couldn't make myself do it because I was emotionally spending. I was deflecting. I was using um, spending as a like coping mechanism or a self-soothing technique, and I just wasn't aware of the emotional side. So I kept thinking that I could change it if I wanted to, and then when I actually tried to, I was like, "Shit, I'm in really deep here. I can't." And it wasn't about you know paying off the money was difficult and earning it and paying it off was difficult, but the harder part was actually changing my relationship with money. And that, I believe, is why you should listen to me. Because no, I'm not a financial advisor. No, I am not like a number crunching budgeting expert. But what I do think that I have a unique perspective on is how as millennials and Gen Zs we are, you know kind of swallowed up by modern consumerism, capitalism, commercialization of absolutely everything and we now have to exist in a world with so many triggers to take our money away and now there's a pandemic to boot and you know wages aren't moving and house prices aren't moving and there's a generational wealth shift, the greatest ever that's ever happened before happening and some people are benefiting from that and others aren't and that's just widening the gaps even more and so we've kind of like got this foundation of inequity to financial confidence and that's just compounded by the way that we're t- well the way the the lack of teaching on how we spend our money so it's very it's one thing to save and invest your money and that's absolutely really important but before all of that we have to learn how to spend our money and that's what nobody teachers, I don't think. So that is my kind of shtick.
0: (laughs) So can we talk a bit more about like millennials and money and our spending habits and how they differ from other generations spending habits? Because like, there's a lot of chat about like, if you talk to a boomer, for instance, they'll talk about, you know, your caramel lattes and your avocado on toast and how, if we just want something, we buy it, but it's not as simple as that. And also I actually, the, the, the people that I know in my generation don't actually spend money like that. And they don't spend money the way that the media would have you believe that we spend money. And there's also things that count to like, that, that are different in our generation, because things are cheaper. Like we, we have things that are mass produced, things are more accessible for us, but also things don't last as long. So for instance, we don't have the one fridge that we had for 25 years. You kind of buy a new fridge more often than that because they're not built to last. Hmm. So can you talk more about our spending millennials? I am a millennial (laughs) and how that is actually affecting Our future being able to save and invest and, you know, (laughs) be our parents when we retire because that's what we all want.
1: Yeah. And it is so different from generation to generation. You've got the boomers, you've got Gen X sort of nestling in the middle there, but there is such an overlap between the upper end benefiting from the kind of boomer paradigm and then the lower end being (coughs) shackled by the millennial norms um and so i do think that whilst while a lot of people identify as gen x i do think the kind of tropes i suppose of that of that sector are are slightly less clear because the lines are a bit blurrier but so the, oh, there's just so many things to say there's the spending thing that as you say you know there's this media ideal that we just have whatever we want and blah, 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 blah. but what that seems to ignore is the fact that we are actually Sold that stuff, like us making the decision, is actually the very bottom of the funnel. There's actually multi billion dollar corporations up here trying to make that happen. And that is why the economy has boomed so much because so many businesses have evolved and they can sell us anything that they want because they now have the internet, they have social media, they have ads that will track us. So we're kind of sort of shamed for what we're spending, but also the economy needs us to continue fulfilling that spending so that everybody else can keep getting richer. So there's that sort of like, that's a whole shit sandwich that we could cut into. Um, (laughs) But there's also, I mean, comparing to boomers and other generations, as we've all learned from lockdowns, it's a lot easier to not spend money when you don't have things available to you. So what boomers seem to forget is, oh, we didn't do that when we were our age. We wore clothes over and over again. But there wasn't that many other options though. You weren't you know, seeing in the media, you weren't being told, you weren't seeing advertising from like buy now, pay later companies being like, buy something new for tonight because it wasn't the norm. So like societal norms have evolved that, you know, you cannot help as a member of society, but fall into. And new things are normalized and things are normalized by people that benefit from those norms. For example, fast fashion companies, they... Actually, provide all the stuff, and the very last piece of the puzzle is us buying it. But we're the ones that lose out, and they gain. And obviously, all the people along the supply chain lose out drastically as well. But the narrative is always that we're just greedy and entitled when we spend all of our money. So, I think that between generations, and another reason I focus on millennials too is because while Gen Z, after us yes, are massively affected by the same things that we are. I do think that they have an advantage because one, they are several years back. So even if they've got to this point and they're in their late teens or early 20s and they're sort of, you know, stuck... Um, in that maybe cycle of spending on things from fast fashion companies or, you know, not really understanding that marketing messages don't need to necessarily penetrate and you don't need all these things that we're told that we need and you can live a perfectly contented lifestyle without getting told you need all this stuff. They also have access to the benefits of social media and the internet where they can learn these things that we didn't know about. Whereas there I was, you know, the amount of stuff that's changed on social media and the internet, and even on our phones in the last decade, between me being 20 and me being 30, in terms of the availability of information that we have, there I was, knowing I didn't have much of a handle on my money, but I didn't really have the resources to... To work, to, to find out other ways of doing that. Yeah, I could have gone to the library and got a book, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, but who's going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, what are you really looking for? Whereas now there are more and more people on social media talking about money. Broader media is talking about money. There are apps for it. There's, you know, there, I think that there's a lot more uh, opportunity to course correct for the younger generation. And it's digestible and fun. It's and digestible. Cute and And the major... Because
0: it's basically, it's um, TikTok and Instagram, and they just have these beautiful little digestible little
1: chunks of information. We're like, I don't need to read a book. This person's a genius. I'll just listen to everything they say. Exactly. And they, so they have access to that information. The gap in knowledge has been identified and is being rectified by all different kinds of people, from individuals on social media and podcasts like me, to banks, to other companies, like to, you know, um, superannuation funds that are designed to, you know, help certain sectors build up their retirement savings savings all that kind of stuff plus they've got way more time on their side whereas like the problem for us when you get to 30 and you think I can't afford a house in this market there's a lot less time to course correct because once you get to your early 30s you don't have time to pay off a 30 year mortgage before you may become unable to work um you know retirement age is one thing but you also have your own physical capacity and not all of us will have the privilege of being able to work into our 60s and 70s because you know, health issues, ableism, all that stuff, means that you may not be able to keep working and you you know, you've got a lot less time to pay off that 30 years, and you've also got a lot less time to put money into the stock market or into your super and allow it to ride the cycles and recover. So that's another thing for millennials, I think that we are unfortunately on the slightly disadvantaged side of the cycle because Gen Zs are becoming as empowered as we are becoming with all these resources but they've got way more time on their side than we do and they may not have got further into the trenches as we did because a lot of us are getting to our late 20s early 30s mid 30s and you know realizing that oh shit we've not only got to course correct but we've got to climb out from the trench first before we can start on the upward trajectory so i think timing wise we're not we're not getting the runoff of the the boomer um you know for want of luck. a better word, luck, <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. And then, you know, it is luck buying a house for $200,000, which yes, I know it was expensive in your day, but you still got the loan and you still got the finance. And now yeah. it's worth $3 and million. I- that's, that's luck. It's really, it was a much
0: smaller percentage of their income, which is something that a lot of them cut, like don't really seem to understand. It's like, no, these these are actual figures. Like I know you think you did it tough, but it is like you bought a house that was worth three times your yearly wage and people are buying houses now that are worth 15 times their yearly wage. And that's the bottom of the barrel of being able to afford a property these days in Australia. And it's like, that's just a fact. Exactly.
1: And often that yearly wage was the household income with only one person working exactly. not always exactly but you know oh I only earned 50 grand back then yeah but that was your household income and one of you was managing the household yeah, whereas exactly. it's like our combined income is what like uh, 150 in a good year for me mm. and so if we buy a million dollar property that's like nearly 10 times or 1.5 million dollar property that's nearly 10 times. And we're both working. Yeah. So what if we want to have children? Like it's just, the the numbers just don't add up. Um, They don't add up. No. And so, you know, while my Instagram content or podcast content or whatever can only rectify so much of that, there is, you can't ignore the actual, it is difficult and we need to perhaps redefine how we own homes. For example, my partner and I, we rent where we live and we own an investment property that's a one bedroom apartment because that's all we could afford. We bought it four years ago. But we haven't been able to afford a whole lot more since then. And so we may kind of like rather than having one family home, we might have we might approach it by having a couple of assets and maybe some shares, to, you know, attempt to earn enough to retire and maybe have somewhere to live if we were to live in one of them or be able to pay rent if we wanted to rent somewhere, rather than following that traditional path. And I think that's a big responsibility of well not responsibility, but I guess benefit of having younger people telling their stories online about how they are finding financial confidence in less traditional ways. Because for mm. so many people, the traditional route just doesn't work anymore. But the problem I think is that for some people, some people do earn a lot of money. I mean, people in our kind of social circle have slightly more traditional jobs that pay better and maybe their combined income is 300,000 and we're just like, But they can buy a $1.5 million house. But for us, it's just not a reality. And so I think paving the way with new ways of finding financial confidence without doing it the same way your parents did is really important because, you know, mindset is one thing and, um, you know, feeling good about money is another, but mathematically the numbers just don't add up. So there needs to be other ways. And that's really important as well as showing other ways of being confident financially without having to own a big property that you're never going to be able to afford.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also just doing your own research and finding ways of things that are working for you now. Like I've got um, a friend of mine who uh, owns a small apartment and a house, and then she ended up selling the house. And rather than buying another house with that money, she put that money into an offset account and basically pays no interest on the house the apartment that she owns. And her parents are just like, well, why don't you just buy another house? When are you going to buy another house? She's like, I'm not going to because this is what makes the most sense for me right now because the housing market is completely whack Mm -hmm. and this is what is going to be making me the most money right now. And there are just some things that that, that you hear about that if you really like pay attention to what's going on there are things that seem really counterintuitive but they actually aren't Mm -hmm. like a lot of people seem to think that paying off your uh, home loan really really fast is the best way to do it but often it's not you end up losing a lot of money Mm. by paying it off too quickly because the bank wants you to pay it off slowly Mm. so you know there are there are things like that and that that doesn't apply in every case but it does apply in some cases so it's really important to yeah pay attention to what's happening in your generation because it was it was easier for boomers
1: back then because the the the, the best path was so clear. Yes. And, and and the norms were... And again, I'm speaking on behalf of an experience I haven't lived, but it, it, it feels as though, and the data suggests, that the norms were a bit more unified than they are mm. now. And so, yeah, <clears throat> paying off your home mortgage as fast as you possibly could made sense because a lot of people continued to live in those homes, retired in those homes, and then Mm. they left it to their children. And interest rates were much higher. And interest rates were much higher, exactly. Whereas now, I mean, the lifestyles that we're living are completely different. Like, we really grappled with, me being from the UK, we really grappled with not only the you know, the immigration aspect of moving overseas, but also the like financial planning aspect of one of us being Mm. from somewhere else. It doesn't make sense for us to buy a family home and pay the mortgage down as quickly as possible when we might move overseas. Whereas that just wasn't a reality for a lot of boomers. I mean, in some cases, sure, but not... I think our lifestyles are a lot less conducive to the traditional path than they used to be. And so you don't need to chase a path that doesn't make sense for you just because historically that's what everybody did. Exactly. Exactly. So can we talk a bit more about investing? I love talking about houses
0: because that's such a huge thing for our generation. Uh, But I I really want to talk about investing as well, because that seems to be a big thing that's coming up for a lot of uh, my friends and a lot of a lot of the listeners of this podcast are super into investing as well. And I struggle with the concept of investing because I really, really don't care I do the bare minimum. I would love to get super excited about it and like read the stock market and all that stuff. Um, do you have any tips for falling in love with investing and not treating it as some big gross chore that you don't want to do? Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, to be honest, to that, what I would say is you don't have to fall in love with investing. And it's almost, I don't know, this is a hot take. I'd say it's almost better if you don't fall in love with investing because you don't want to be too emotionally invested, pun intended. Mm-hmm. Because if you are, you know, really closely watching what you're investing, you're going to be a lot more cut when the value of your investments Mm. drops. I, when I first started investing, used to like look at them all the time because they were going up and it felt amazing. And I was like, I (laughs) am a genius. I've invested some shares and they have made $8 today. (laughs) Uh, But really the bottom line with investing is the value of your investments mean absolutely nothing unless you are selling them. So you actually don't need to know the value of your investments all the time so you don't need to look at them all the time and i you know i personally believe in long-term investing that you know you're not day trading you're not doing it all day long you're not checking the value every day you're investing for the long term and riding those cycles you might be dollar cost averaging so you're buying a set amount every time and based on the price so you might invest i don't know 500 dollars a month or something and the benefit of doing that is it averages out. So when the cost of the shares that you're buying is low that month, you get more shares for your $500. And then the next month, you still only invest $500. But if the price is higher, you get a bit less. And overall, that averages out over time to a more favorable, I suppose, um, cost per unit because you don't need to be checking when they're high and when they're low and thinking, fuck, I should have bought yesterday. And oh, I should have, you know, if you're not selling them and I don't plan to sell mine either because I am investing for the long term. And I personally believe that is a much no investment. Investing is safe, but it is a safer option because you get to ride the overall upward trajectory, providing you're, you know, investing in diversified and stable and safe um, investments, I suppose. But it can be a set and forget exercise, just like saving. You don't need to fall in love with it. You don't necessarily need to be a really big expert on it. Once you've done your initial research, you, you can, to a degree, I personally believe, and this is what I've done set and forget and invest regularly and often and frequently and early, but without having to be really hands-on. So when I, you know, I went from knowing nothing about investing to learning a bit more about it. And then once you've done that initial research, you can keep your finger on the pulse without needing to be like an investment aficionado. So I, obviously there is a lot of conflicting information and because there is no guarantees with investing, everything will have strong disclaimers and nothing, you know, everything is, could maybe might, you know, you you can't guarantee anything. And that is the main thing to remember with investing. So even though I'm sitting here thinking I'm investing for the long term, yeah, I could lose it. And so you need to be careful of that. Because even if I don't intend to sell, you need to invest in a way that minimizes your need to sell them. Because, you know, if I invest all my savings, then I may need to sell them. And that's when you can lose money if you need to take it out when it's low um yeah at an inappropriate time exactly and so you know if you needed to do that for car repairs that's not great whereas you know Mm -mm. that you you, having savings outside of investments that you can access for that kind of thing so you don't need to sell your investments involuntarily i suppose um but i kind of like the way i approach people ask me about investing and it's difficult because there is only so much that me as a non-financial advisor besides anything else but anybody even a qualified advisor can say online you know you can't give advice. You can't tell people what to do. Nobody can because nobody is actually certain. But I did a lot of my learning through the ASX website of the Australian Securities Exchange. They've got loads of guides and they've got like a stock game on there, like a dummy trading game where you it sort of shows you the process of buying and selling shares so you actually understand what it is that you're doing. Because I do think that while i'm massively into the broader participation of investing i do think there probably are people out there that don't fully understand what the stock market is why things go up and down some might argue you don't have to i don't know i just think personally for me i think that it's all about investing with at a level that you're comfortable with and in something you understand so the other place you can learn things as well in terms of getting comfortable with doing it is on um, your bank or maybe you don't bank with a big four but all the big four banks have a, a trading a shares trading platform as well I suppose um, and like Comsec, for example is part of Commonwealth Bank and on the Comsec website they've got like tutorials of like literally how you add the thing to your cart and how you monitor the price and what what the thing means because you go in to look at the share and it's like bid and average and daily close and you're kind of like what's all that and while you could skim over it and just buy them, I think you're going to feel a lot better and a lot more comfortable about what it is that you're doing if you understand that stuff. And they've got like really digestible step-by-step guides on the principles of investing as well as how to actually do it and how to sell them and things like that if you need to. Um, and I think that that is really helpful in helping you fall in love, and in inverted commas, with the process of investing in terms of, in context of your life because it's not something that really you want to be obsessing over every day because you want to just set and forget and then eventually have grown your wealth over time um wealth for want of a better word but you know even if even if it starts with looking at your super if you have a superannuation account you're already investing because that's what it's done for you Log in and look at your performance because a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people haven't even rolled together their accounts. You know, make sure you've rolled together your super accounts and you've got one super annuation account that you're comfortable with. Maybe you want to compare providers, but just look at the performance over the last couple of years because it's been a really interesting market over the last couple of years and you will see how things have changed and that in itself Kind of starts to teach you the principles of what you're doing, um, and then you know it all comes down to sort of like I said, investing at a level that is comfortable and reasonable for you. So look at your income, see how much that you might have available to put towards something that could grow your wealth, where it doesn't need to be in savings. Have you got your emergency savings set up? If you have, great. If not, don't even think about investing. Get your emergency savings sorted, and then if you have a surplus of income, that is own that is the only time that you need to think about investing personally. Don't invest in anything that is not a surplus. It has to be a true surplus, a long-term surplus that you are not going to need for a minimum five to 10 years. Personally, I mean, again, maybe this is getting a bit specific, but disclaimer, this is not advice. This is just how I approach it. Um, A true surplus that you're not going to need, work out how much that is, whether it's a lump sum now and then a little bit regularly or a certain amount from each pay each month. And then you know once you've done your sort of foundational learning on the securities exchange website or via your bank or whatever start researching and you can do that within those websites start researching what it is that you might want to invest in is it a collection of companies via an etf or a managed fund is it a specific company that you really believe in there are loads of different ways of doing it that means that you can kind of be emotionally connected on a on some level to what you're investing in so that you believe in it and so that you understand what it is that you're doing, but without being so hands-on that you're like worrying about it going up and down all the time because a set and forget long-term investing strategy does not need you to be that obsessed um and you don't no, want to have too imagine. much skin in the game because yes. that's yes. when it feels shit
0: um, <laughs> um i can imagine getting too obsessed with watching those numbers go up and down mm-hmm. and i mean like it, it really at the base of it is gambling <clears throat> yeah 100%. like it's just kind of a, a sort of more socially acceptable, safer way to do it. And I think, thank you for your advice on the, um, on those websites to actually go to, to do that, because I think a lot of people are really scared of getting scammed. Mm. And if you just kind of like Google investing, you you're just worried that, you know, it's, you're going to hand over $100,000 and be one of those people sobbing on, um, you know, a current affair because they got swindled out of their money. So I think it's it's really important to talk about safe ways to do it and, and good places to go for good advice and legit places
1: to actually invest your money rather than just kind of handing a suitcase to a stranger in the street. Well, exactly, and it's a really esoteric topic as well because it has, you know, traditionally been gatekept really by, you mm. know, people would argue whether that was intentional or not, but it has been gatekept with a certain you know, gender and skin colour of person. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And so it is deliberately difficult to understand. So even if you're not being Mm. scammed, you can be sitting there thinking, I just put five grand somewhere and I don't know where the fuck it is. So it can be really helpful, particularly if you are learning from uh, the website of a big four. Like I'm not advocating for the big four, but they have the, the cold, hard information that is factual. And the Australian Securities Exchange website. You know that you are getting clear ad, clear advice is not the word but facts and true things that are true and it's not anybody else's agenda necessarily yeah and you're and not they're being checked and they're being checked and they're regulated and it's legal and you're not putting your money into something that you don't understand um and you'll understand the sort of the ownership of the shares and all that kind of thing when you learn through those sort of like high level um those sort of high level platforms, I guess. Um, ASIC Money Smart also has like quite good broken down information about, again, the principles of investing and and the ownership of them and that that kind of thing. if, um, If you want to check that out as well.
0: Hi, it's Carly, just popping in to remind you to leave a review for the podcast. If you haven't already, just go to the show page, not the episode page, scroll right down to the bottom where it says leave a review. Thank you so much. Back to the show. Yeah, actually, that website's great. I did um, some influencer work with them about 10 years ago, and they're fantastic. They're a really, really good company. They've done a lot of stuff, particularly around women and women's finances Mm. and, you know, making sure that uh, women are taking care of themselves financially so they don't end up homeless when they're 60, which happens far too often in Australia. Exactly, it does. Can we please talk about credit cards? Mm. So they're a really big issue that come up with a lot of my listeners, Um, and I'm a bit weird with credit cards because I never had one until – I was like 30 and then I needed to get one for something and I can't remember what it was, but someone required me to have one. I can't, but also like you can't buy things online. So it was only like until I started buying things online that I really needed one. Uh, but I was terrified of them because, you know, I was worried about credit scores and all that kind of stuff, but then you actually need one to have a credit score. And, uh, there's, there's a huge kind of trope with millennials that we've gotten ourselves into a lot of credit card debt and a lot of us have debt to pay off what are you, what are your thoughts on credit cards and are millennials as irresponsible with them as you know the media leads us to believe?
1: Yeah, credit cards is an interesting one as a person who has had credit card debt myself. Um I got my credit card quite young and I had it for emergencies and <laughs> while you know while I did get myself into debt with it um I do think I don't personally regret taking it out as such because the reason I had it was because um, that that was sort of you know unfortunately that was my emergency fund. My mum couldn't help me financially, and I remember having it thinking, you know, if I'm in London and I need you know to stay somewhere or you know it was just something that I, the reason I had it and what how I rationalized it was because a lot of the things that other people might go, mom, help, I need 500 quid, can you transfer me? That just wasn't a reality for me. And that is why I had one. And so having them, I don't regret having it, obviously, I regret getting into the debt. But I still I got into a kind of debt that I just don't even really understand how it happened. And it was just sort of like a bit of paying it off and and thinking, you know, having enough savings to pay it off. So I was it was technically okay, but then I wouldn't because I wanted to keep the cash flow. And and eventually it just outgrew. I mean, largely a lot of that was when I met my partner and we suddenly commenced this long distance relationship from 11,000 miles across the globe. And that, you know I do use it in that case. But I mean, at the same time, would I have changed that? No. If I didn't have a credit card, I probably would have got one at that point because I needed to be buying flights and things like that. Um, I paid down that big chunk of debt only about four years ago. So it got to about Oh, it sat between about twelve and fourteen thousand equivalent. I think it was. It was in the UK, so thankfully it wasn't actually considered when we bought our apartment. I still had it at that time, um, and it didn't get taken. Lucky, into account. <laughs> So have <laughs> offshore debt, everybody. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it didn't affect. I don't think we would have got the mortgage um, because of the numbers. Uh, if I if that had been in Australia, maybe we would. I don't oh, know.
0: Absolutely not. We almost didn't get approved for our loan because my partner had a a uh, bank account that he had a really, really old bank account that had like, it was $7 overdrawn oh, no! <laughs> and he'd forgotten about it. And then they like, he literally had to sort this out and then get the bank to sign this affidavit saying that he had paid this like minus seven, like this, this overdrawn $7. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like it's $7. Like they were just like,
1: they were so hardcore. It was oh, unbelievable. No, yeah, There was no space for nuance in bank al- algorithm, algorithms. Let me tell you. Um, But yeah, no, I paid down that debt because I did bring it to Australia with me and I paid it down eventually. And it's still one of the things I'm like most proud of that I did because I can remember so clearly staring up what felt like a mountain it was like standing at the bottom of Everest with no coat and no shoes and you're just thinking I can't do this like it just wasn't adding up and I was like newly in Australia I was struggling to find consistent work I was earning a really low income when I did get sort of like a contractor role that obviously had no holiday pay sick pay super none of that stuff um and I was like walking around thinking I earned thirty three thousand dollars before tax and I earn and I I owe twelve grand Just how, how's it ever (laughs) going to, how's it going to work? Like, and you know, (laughs) harsher boomers might be like, well, that's your own fault. And you know, on some level it totally is. It was irresponsible spending and it got out of control. And, but the reason being I falsely believed, and I think this is again, going back to the millennial thing, I think that we were a lot blinder to the financial reality Mm. that we would be living in because we looked at people's parents, I mean, slightly less so mine because my you know, my mum was a single mum with a not great well-paying job, but you just sort of believe that you're income trajectory will be upwards. And when you're older, you'll be able to fix all these mistakes because I wasn't buying things that were ridiculous. I was buying like fast fashion tops and, Mm. you know, um, going out on student nights. Like I wasn't spending big money. So I just thought that eventually (laughs) I would earn a lot more. But then we kind of got spat out after the GFC as well into a reality where wages just weren't changing. (laughs) Um, And anyway, I'm going off topic from credit cards. But despite all of that, I don't have as much of an issue with credit cards as i do with for example buy now pay later because and and this is a really complex topic and a lot of people can't understand why whereas i think that while the two are very similar and they're both you know they're both credit essentially even though buy now pay later pretends it's not with an invisibility cloak but it is you know you're using money that isn't yours to buy things oh yeah um i think that used responsibly there are benefits to credit cards whereas used responsibly i don't know that there's that really any benefits to buy now pay later so with a credit card yeah as, I agree. You say, yeah as you say it helps you build a credit score if you use one responsibly it helps you build a credit score Two, it is you can get points as well so like I use
0: my credit card I put everything on my credit card mm. and then pay it off immediately exactly um and then I get points for it but I otherwise if there was no point system I
1: just wouldn't do that exactly and that which I mean look you could argue and maybe in another breath I would argue that that is enticing you to take out credit and it is really nuanced and it is quite dependent on the individual but I do think Mm. that you can combine credit cards and responsible spending whereas you Mm. can't or there would be no point combining buy now pay later and responsible spending because you just wouldn't really need it um yeah but again like I'm, I mean I think saying never have credit would be really uninclusive because like I said I that was my fallback I couldn't fall back on my parents some people can and that's amazing mm. but if I needed help I needed if I needed to get myself a taxi home from a guy's house where I felt unsafe or something I needed that I couldn't call anyone else and ask me for any other money so th- I do think on some level having access to to credit in a bad situation can be helpful. There's also benefits like payment protection insurance or, you know, whatever the official term for it is, but, you know, insurance on things that you purchase, if you, if that falls through, if you're scammed, the bank is going to help you get their money back. Yeah. A lot more than they're going to help you get your debit Hmm. card money back. Um, Yeah. There's points there's, you know, it can benefit your credit score. Yes. It can screw up your credit score. Whereas buy now, pay later will only ever be bad for your credit score if, yeah. yeah using it responsibly builds up nothing for you at this time maybe that will change i don't know um but i think that i mean i don't see that credit cards are marketed in the same way that buy now pay later is in terms of like if you're at uh a checkout online it doesn't sort of say pay with mastercard and pay for it next month you know like yeah whereas with buy now pay, later, pay 22 dollars four times like, i just think It's just a lot more dangerous. So I'm not um, against credit cards as many think that I might be. That said, I'm also not like, yeah, get one. Like I think that there needs to be more education actually around them um, and around how to use them effectively.
0: So... You seem to have a bit of an issue with buy now, pay later. (laughs) Do you think – I was going to ask you what you think the worst financial advice circulating at the moment is that you think that we should ignore. Is your main thing just stay away from buy now, pay later?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was actually – I was sort of going to talk about crypto as well. um, Oh, yeah. Talk about crypto. I mean – it's it's a difficult one, and look, I'm the first person to admit that I don't know loads and loads and loads about crypto. But I don't think that many people know loads and loads and loads about no. crypto. What people see is it's as you say, it's sort of gambling. Um, yeah, and it's and and you know that there's money to be made, but I will die on this hill that I don't think that just because there's money to be made, it's something that you should do which some people disagree with. Some people will go, oh, just buy some and, and get rich and then doesn't matter if just it doesn't like make any the bandwagon. sense. Yeah. there's a lot of bandwagon. And there's a lot of, you know, for me personally, and this has come from understanding property and the share market, you know, not in incredible detail. I'm no expert, but I understand the principles of them. The thing that falls apart for me with crypto and a lot of people are saying, get on crypto because it's going to be the next big thing until i can reasonably wrap my head around how it's going to be the next big thing i won't invest in it because i don't i don't see any real world application for crypto yes there are mm. non-fungible tokens now which i guess are like assets that you can buy with cryptocurrency but the thing is Again, there's still no use for those. It's entirely yeah. inflated by supply and demand, which, you know, some would argue is everything. But when you're investing in a property or a stock, for example, there are other things aside from supply and demand that affect its value. Yeah. Whereas for crypto, I don't personally see anything other than supply and demand. People only want it to well, sell it. it's kind of... Exactly. It's kind of like a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. It's like... It, like nothing,
0: there, There's no There's no asset. There's nothing being sold. There's no product. There's no like it
1: it's so it's so weird mm. like i it's yeah it mm. it doesn't fit the criteria of a currency and, t- and and even if it did become a currency and you could use it for price stabilized things in the real world the supply and demand would stabilize as well i just mm. until i can um you know understand that i won't i'm willing to admit mm. that my opinion may change but i think that what's really what kind of falls out of that piece of advice of being aware of crypto, which is, you know, hardly an original thought. I think a lot of people would say beware of crypto yeah. or "Be aware of people telling you to buy crypto. Um, is it comes down to this thing from behavioral economics that you might be familiar with of rational versus reasonable. So mm. while rationally there might be money to be made or there might be a use for crypto in the future, if it is not reasonable to you, for example, I've just explained, I don't feel comfortable with it, then don't do it. And I think this rule comes around in a lot of it's a really good way to assess whether a financial concept or a financial opportunity or investment or you know even saving strategy is right for you because there are things that are mathematically rational for example investing rather than saving and then there's what's reasonable to you so rationally yeah you could put the five grand in your bank account in the stock market and rationally the average return is eight percent so that's better than having a 0.5 percent return in your savings rate Mm. But that's not reasonable to most people because we would not feel comfortable being that highly dependent on the performance of the stock market. And everyone's got different levels of that, right? It's like your risk appetite, I suppose. Yeah. And so I think that any kind of advice, I mean, there's a lot of advice at the moment, particularly coming out of the UK because their inflation, um, yeah, inflation rate is so high, it's 5% over there, whereas ours is really low over here. But as inflation continues to rise, there's a lot of screaming noise saying, don't save money because you're losing money, which is rationally and mathematically and economically true if inflation is even three percent and you're getting one percent in your savings account you are losing money year on year but you also yeah. need to have access to cash flow and you so do. assessing what's reasonable for you don't just go with what's rational and a lot of people might put yeah. advice or knowledge out there or mathematical calculations out there that you know if you invest thousand dollars a month for 10 years and then stop investing you'll be a millionaire at retirement but if it's not reasonable for you ignore it and I think that's a really important thing for people to think about when they are seeing a lot of information and opinions from different people I mean even in the fire community the financial independence retire early that might be rational and that might be reasonable for them but if it's not reasonable for you you don't need to be doing it and sort of like a good filter to put things through to see whether they actually are relevant to you and worth putting your money behind in your world Even if it's mathematically true, it doesn't mean that you have to take the advice. Sorry, that was really (laughs) long-winded. No, I love
0: it. Um, There is actually a fantastic podcast called Missing Crypto Queen. If anyone wants kind of a a more entertaining way of learning about cryptocurrency, a lot of the way that cryptocurrency uh, kind of, I don't know, management Bodies work is that it's just like multi level marketing, and the way that you get money from your crypto is by creating a downline and selling them. I am obsessed with multi level marketing. Same. It's my favorite topic and so, and I'm just like oh yeah talking about MLMs and people are like what are you talking about I'm like you need to jump on board with MLMs because it is fascinating it is um, such I, a I, rabbit
1: hole I, it's so interesting I know
0: I'm just have you watched the documentary uh called Lula Ro Yes yes
1: yes, Whoa, yes it was
0: so good it was so good that so is a uh, a documentary was it on Stan it was on, or on binge? Prime I think I think it was on Amazon Prime? Prime oh my god I I have all the streaming things I don't know just find where you can watch it but it's about uh Lula Lula Ro, Yeah which is like a leggings company in America. And it just talks about how they pretend like they're not an MLM when they actually are an MLM. Uh, But do listen to uh, Missing Crypto Queen to get sort of a a bit of a uh, journalistic view of what cryptocurrency is all about and um, less of a, hey, it's actually a really legitimate way to make money. And it's actually a lot of the time, uh, a bit of a scam. If there are places that exist that aren't scam in the cryptocurrency world, oh, I'm more than happy to hear about that. <laughs> but from what I've heard, it's uh, it's not particularly positive.
1: Yeah, there's a real scammy side to it, which is just like a whole other, you know, aside from the logical, my logical reasons around supply and demand, the, there's a side of the industry that is entirely scammy as well. And that's really, oh. really dangerous. Like people impersonate my Instagram account and scam people out of money. Say that again? People impersonate my Instagram account and other finance people's Instagram accounts and they will scam people out of money in (sighs) the name of crypto. Oh my goodness. It's really bad. Instagram don't care. Instagram will not do anything to stop it.
0: Wow. Have you had someone impersonate your account?
1: Yeah, regularly. And they'll send people DMs. I mean, a lot of people are careful and they won't, but I've had, I mean- Look, I guess I don't necessarily know how much of it was true. But someone said to me that the fake accounts, there was a real period of time where there were loads and loads of them. And it seems to happen to various different creators at different different times. Um, and yeah, they all send DMs from this fake account and people think it's you because it looks like you. It has all your pictures and stuff. Oh my and try and get people to send them money.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. I think just like to wrap it up, the main piece of advice from this episode is don't give money to people on Instagram. Yeah, please, please don't. It's really- Unless it's like a shop and you're buying something. <laughs> yeah. But if someone DMs you and is like, hey, do you want to invest in some cryptocurrency? Just the answer is always no, always. isn't it? Yeah. Far out. All right. Well, I like to finish, (laughs) I like like to finish the show with a little segment called kicked my ass and kicked ass where we both share something that we struggled with, but also something that we rocked at. And my kicked my ass this week is that our whole family, we're just all tired. Mm. We're so, so tired. And I mean, like we're sleeping fine and we're eating fine and exercising and we can't figure it out. Like we don't have any other symptoms. So it's not that other thing that we're not talking about. But so who knows? I don't know. Maybe it's just the beginning of the year and we're kind of recovering from holidays or whatever, but we're so, so
1: tired. Oh, how funny. I hope it's, yeah. uh, I Hope you've got an antigen test in stock. Yeah,
0: no, we do. We've yeah. been taking antigens, well, oh. you know, as much as you can because they're worth bloody $15 and you can't get them. It's just like what a rot! It's unbelievable.
1: Um, so what kicked your ass this week? I'm... gonna bring it back to chocolate and just say that I've been like (laughs) Always. always I've been pretty good with and I've been really proud of this really I did really well this year at enjoying myself over Christmas and eating and drinking all the things I love and enjoying all the experiences to the max and then being able to just taper that back off and get back into my healthy habits in January which is something I was really conscious of because back end of well second half of last year when we went into that another lockdown in Melbourne the last long one that we had um I got into exercising at home because we were living in a new place I've always wanted to exercise at home and I when we moved into this place I was like I'm just gonna start doing it so that I never exist in this house without exercising at home and so I started doing it and I bloody stuck to it and it's the most consistent but not toxic commitment to my health that I've ever been able to do and I was a bit like worried about Christmas because I know what I'm like and I'm really all or nothing and I thought this is going to be really what crushes it whereas I've been really good at tapering that back off and getting back into those habits that I set last year without having to have restricted myself all through Christmas so I'm really happy with that but this easter chocolate being out everything's great i'm exercising i've been running a kilometer a day and timing it for every day of january i'm doing dry jan but i just am um, plowing through mini eggs every single night <laughs> and it's that's <laughs> what's ruining the, it for me
0: are they the, the cream egg ones
1: they're like bought the egg shaped um things of Cadbury with like a hard shell yeah. Yeah. Um and they Oh, they look like birds' eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're multicoloured. Oh my god, I
0: love them. <laughs> so good. They're so, so good. They're kind of like a like an egg m M&M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I love them. I
1: so I, I I highly approve. Mm. Yeah, definitely. But they are I mean look, I'm enjoying them massively, but I am sort of thinking, God, Easter's not till April. I need to kick this <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I need to cool my jets. Because everything else is I everything else is going great. I'm doing all my other habits. I'm feeling good. I'm just... It's its just all falling apart with the sheer volume of the mini-ex that I'm consuming. <laughs> um, but yeah... <laughs> So
0: my uh, kicked ass this week is that I have committed to reading 52 books this, this I've written this week. I mean, this year, (laughs) um, which is roughly one book per week. And I am one book ahead at the moment, which is great. So I removed, I think I spoke to you about this on your podcast. I'll, I'll link to this, but I was a guest on Emma's podcast recently. And, um, I was talking to her about, uh, removing Instagram and all of the social media and stuff. I've even removed Feedly and Medium from my phone. So I only do digital reading at my desk. And so if I ever feel like a scroll, I just pick up my, because I found that by removing Instagram, I would read articles on Feedly and Medium and, which is fine, but like I just want to read my book. So I removed those. And then I started going on like eBay and Etsy and Depop and like spending money so bad. So then I had to remove all of those. I'm like, come on, Carly, like you just stop, stop. Like there's just that, that insatiable need to scroll on my phone. So I've removed all of those from my phone. If I want to eBay or do anything like that, I have to go upstairs to my computer to do that. And I don't want to go upstairs to my computer. So I've been picking up my book instead. And it
1: has been a massive, massive game changer. That's really interesting. I'm actually a bit the same. I've never allowed myself to shop on my phone just because I just don't like it. It's just too small. I'm worried I'm going to type it wrong. But it actually is a really good barrier because so many people buy stuff on their phones. And I'm like, do you really? Like when I worked in e-commerce, it was like 98% of sales were on phone. And I'm like, yeah, "Eh?" I don't do that. But I think it's actually a real good barrier.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great one particularly if I didn't even need anything. I was just like just browsing shopping yeah. which is, just goes against all of my beliefs. Exactly. So <laughs> what what did
1: you kick ass at this week? I have started learning French on Duolingo because Amazing. I did French at school right up until year 13 um which is year 12 in Australia. Um and I was pretty good at it but I mean as with most things it falls off. Um, But it's been really good for like refreshing my memory. And there's things that are like new that I'm learning that are a bit more conversational. And then I'm kind of remembering like the verb conjugations again. And it feels good to be kind of reactivating that skill that's also like valuable and might be helpful if I, if and when we're ever able to go traveling again, and (laughs) that sort of thing. Um, But I'm kind of trying to fuse it into like a bit of a activities afternoon one afternoon a week um in my business where I sort of like do things that that are learning but they're not working um so I love that what a cool thing thing to do yeah I'm loving it
0: That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Very Excellent Habits, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at VeryExcellentHabits, and you can also email me contact at carlyjacobs.com. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show at speakpipe.com forward slash VeryExcellentHabits. Thank you so much to the people who have left episode requests. I'll be getting to those at some point this season. If you have a topic you desperately want covered, please leave a voice memo at speakpipe.com forward slash very excellent habits. For all the resources that you hear about on the show, you can grab them at patreon.com forward slash very excellent habits. And one more thing, please leave a rating and a review. It is the best way to help other people find the podcast. Thank you to Taryn H underscore 89 NKP 94 from the UK and Amina Mur from the UK for leaving reviews recently. I'm sending you all of my virtual good karma this week until next time. Remember little habits, big life.